Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. A stunning revelation on Monday night as a leak out of the Supreme Court appeared to show the justices prepared to overturn Roe versus Wade. We wanted to talk about what was leaked, what it could mean for the future of abortion in America, and also what it could mean for other rights that people may not realize could suddenly be in jeopardy as a result of this potential court ruling. Our guest is Dr. Susan Liebel. She is a professor of political science at St. Joseph's University. So to start, can you just kind of describe what exactly was leaked out? You know, what this uh, an initial draft majority opinion, I think, is what it's called. What is that? So the justices take a vote and then they assign one justice to write a draft of the majority opinion. And if there are dissenters, there is another justice selected, usually the senior most justice in the minority to write a dissent. And so what we have is Justice Alito's draft majority opinion. This is a fully developed, fully footnoted first draft. And and it's important that it is a first draft. So justices, we don't know everything that happens at the Supreme Court, but we know from memoirs and from retired justices that normally the way this would work is that Justice Alito would work on this with his clerks. It would then circulate to the other justices who voted with Justice Alito. They would make suggestions. They might say, we don't like the use of, for example, abortionists, which is something that Justice Alito, language that he uses, which is unusual. They might ask for changes. So what we have was written in February. It says February 10th. It's a full document, but it isn't the decision. It's the first draft. And what we would assume would be that it it would be modified in reaction to the other uh, justices. And if there was a justice who was on the fence, it might in fact be changed significantly to accommodate that justice. I don't think that's what happens here because of the number of justices who during oral arguments looked like they would support such a position, which would be Alito joined by Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, uh, Barrett, and Thomas, and that gives them the five. And the big question then would be what the chief would do. But this is unprecedented. We don't see leaks like this from the Supreme Court. We don't see these early documents at all. They don't save them and give them out after everything is done. So this is a big deal, and it is also the first draft. As far as positions, as you stated, it is possible that this, if this is A, when we get Z in June or July, that it could be changed. But to your point about the oral arguments, it's just mat- probably a matter of degree uh, from, from here. Yes, we see little elements of things that were already in the oral arguments so that, uh, you know, we... We can see some references to them. Uh, for example, this language about uh, uh, that Roe was egregiously wrong comes from Justice Kavanaugh and writings that he has done. So I think that means we can assume that he's within that group. And as I said, the big thing would be the Chief Justice. The Chief Justice does not support 
the position that abortion rights can be found in the U.S. Constitution or that the U.S. Constitution extends them to women. He doesn't believe that. He had never believed that. However, he believes in what's called stare decisis. Actually, all the justices are supposed to, which means let the decision stand. So the stability of our laws is based on the idea that the Supreme Court doesn't change based on the justices parties or uh, ideologies, but that they respect the precedent and the decisions that they've made. So in the past, what we've seen is the same law come out of two different states over the course of very short period of time. And we've seen Justice Roberts express what we know to be his view, which is, I think this law is constitutional. You can absolutely restrict abortion in this circumstance. He was outvoted. Two years later, when the exact same law came up from another state, he voted in the, with the position that he had initially opposed because he believes more in stare decisis than his particular view on abortion rights. So it will be very important and interesting to see where he goes, but he doesn't have the decisive vote because there are five clear votes to overturn Roe v. Wade already on the court. And just uh, we probably I sh- probably should have mentioned this at the beginning. The kind of the basis of this is that Mississippi uh, case, correct? Yeah, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, and and that that case uh, changes the um, approach that we've had uh, to viability. Viability is when the fetus can exist outside of the womb. It's roughly around twenty three to twenty four weeks. But this Mississippi law said no abortion after 15 weeks. So that would mean uh, before the fe- uh, 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 well before the fetus, fetus is, is viable. Um, so that's the, the, that's the original case. So we're looking at the line as to when human life can be uh, declared or uh, are we regulating health? All of those decisions were part of the original of the original case. So let's go for a minute and let's assume that this we get some version of this when the final decision is announced and Roe versus Wade is is overturned then we live in a country where every state has its own set of abortion laws correct yeah so right now uh depending on the state that you're listening to this uh show from you have different laws governing your rights. So, you know, some states have as part of their state constitutions or their state laws, protection for access to birth control, access to abortion. And those state laws are unchanged no matter what this decision says. But there are other states that have what are called trigger laws. Those are laws that are sort of waiting And if the court overturns Roe v. Wade, those trigger bans will go into effect immediately. So states like Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas, all of those places have trigger bans that are already in place. Other states uh, have legislatures that might be open to changing the laws if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So so we have we have a set of states, a significant set of states that would just it happens the day that the court makes the decision. And then we have others who would change their laws. And then we have many states that are shoring up their laws. California is saying, for example, they'll make their laws even stronger. 
and I think something about this, a lot of what is at stake here, yes, it's abortion, a woman's right to choose, but I think people need to understand that kind of the foundation for what the majority justices are are doing here, you could see a lot of other rights eventually be clawed back kind of using this the the thought process here am i being too alarmist am i not presenting it correctly oh no no not at all uh and and just to be clear i think that a lot of people are court followers scholars are completely shocked by this first draft because it is so extreme i think people thought that it would be a much sort of gentler uh opinion that would say yes the state of mississippi is fine with their uh, ban on abortion after 15 weeks but they didn't expect to see anything like this. So I don't think that's extreme. And second, it's not extreme in that. So the fifth and the 14th amendment have a clause, it's called the due process clause. And it just says that no person can be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And and part of where uh, rights to access to abortion come from is the meaning of this word liberty. And and that word liberty has been used for a lot of things. For example, like, can I send my kids to a private school? Can I use birth control? Uh, so so first, we've had it. We, we've had an interpretation. Can I get married to a person of another race? All of these have been a question of like, is this my liberty to decide, or can states have laws that ban those things? And states have had laws that ban those things. So. The way the court came to Roe was a case called Griswold versus Connecticut, which is a really weird case. It came out of Connecticut and Connecticut law said that married people could not buy birth control. Married people could not buy birth control. It came to the court and the court had to decide, like, how do we explain that you do have a right to access to birth control? And Justice Douglas, there was a lot of opinions. Justice Douglas has prevailed and it said, if we read the whole constitution, what we get is a certain kind of respect for privacy, even though the constitution doesn't, doesn't use that word. So elements of the fourth amendment, you can't come into my house and search things. Uh, elements of the first amendment, freedom of association, all these things protect my marriage and whether or not I'm going to use birth control or I'm going to have children. And it was that decision, Griswold, that Roe was based upon. It was an expansion of that idea that the state can't reach too far into your private life. And this is fancy. It's called substantive due process. Um, it has protected marriage equality, for example. So again, when Loving was passed, many states banned the marriage of a Black and a white American. And the court overturned that as a liberty. They also depended on the Equal Protection Clause. Uh, Obergefell, the case that expanded that to uh, same-sex marriage. So education of children, reproduction, uh, sorry, birth control, consensual sodomy, all of those things are protected by the same uh, line of reasoning that Alito is attacking, though he has a line in the decision that says, I am only talking about abortion and we're not going to touch anything else. Everyone knows that that is false, that that's logically false. Once you say it's not 
it doesn't work for one thing. It also means that you could ban you could ban birth control under exactly the same logic, or you could change rules for again other things. Education also doesn't appear in the Constitution. And to that point of you know logic, but also we're all you know one of the big things with a lot of the the justices that were recently confirmed, uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch, uh, Brett Kavanaugh was they told senators, specifically it seems like Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, Susan Collins from Maine, who are Republicans but are pro-choice, that you know, basically Roe versus Wade was settled law. And now it seems that like once they're in and the door is shut behind them, uh now who I wasn't we weren't in the room. We don't know how it was presented. Maybe it was put forth and the senators kind of heard what they wanted to hear. But I guess my point is we had a lot of things kind of lining up here that make people lose faith in the Supreme Court. Uh, look, I think that this is a huge, huge moment. You know, during oral arguments, Breyer said something about subverting the court's legitimacy, that that if they were to change their mind simply because President Trump added more justices to the Supreme Court, then that would show that the Supreme Court isn't a a non-political institution that we should place a lot of faith in. And Justice Sotomayor was, has been the person quoted most. And uh, if you will allow, I mean, she said, if people actually believe it's all political, how will we survive? How will the court survive? Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the constitutions and its reading are just political acts. And she went further to say, the people in Mississippi talked about this. The sponsors said, we're doing it because we have new justices. And if that's the case, we would have to ask ourselves how we justify giving nine unelected people the right to decide whether or not we have access to birth control or abortion or the ability to educate our children in a private school or to have the kind of sex we want to have with the people we want to have it with. And so I, I think this is a this is why Justice Roberts matters so much. Justice Roberts is more conservative than Justice Alito. He's more thoughtful than Justice Alito. He's more everything than Justice Alito and more committed to his principles. And those principles in his case are intention. Stare decisis, a almost 50-year decision, Roe v. Wade versus new justices on the Supreme Court and getting what Roberts thinks is the correct approach, which is to overturn Roe v. Wade. And he's choosing institutional principles and respect for the Supreme Court. Justice Alito is choosing this issue. And if you don't pay attention to precedent, and once again, I'm coming at this from a layman, nothing matters. Like, it's just kind of whatever that however the court is constituted, what are we basing anything on other than just the constitution, a document that was written 250 years ago. And I mean, it's scary. It seems kind of silly. It seems, you know, short-sighted. I mean, there's a lot at work here. So the optimist in me, Matt would say, that what's great about living in a country with a constitution and a Supreme Court, and to be clear, 
Canada, lots of countries do not have this kind of system. But what I've always found very appealing about our system is that we write out certain principles and at moments when our elected officials act against those principles, we enforce them through people who do not have the same kind of election constraints. It's kind of like when I tell you, I'm only going to eat a cupcake, cut me off after that one, and I want the second one, and you stop me. The question is, have you have you helped me achieve my goals, or have you taken away my liberty? And one of the ways that we, the founders, the framers, all small letters, I don't like the big caps, the way they looked at this was if in advance we say, let's have free speech, but then in the moment, we really want to ban speech that we hate. We want a bunch of people to sort of stop us. So in moments like when the Senate passed legislation against flag burning, the Supreme Court said, we hate flag burning. We really don't like this as an expression of free speech, but we have to protect it. So at its best, the Supreme Court really stops the more democratic parts of our system in its tracks and makes us think. Sometimes it pushes us to do things that elected majorities aren't, uh, sorry, people elected by majorities aren't willing to do, like, like overturning bans on interracial marriage, which were supported by many majorities in many states. And it was the Supreme Court that said, this is repugnant to our principles, even though you like it. So that's the best version. The worst version is, I think, what you're talking about. And if we get to the point in which we're simply playing politics uh, and changing the rules every single time we have new justices, then we would then have to ask ourselves why we're keeping the court the way it is. And it would open the door to the arguments that are already out there for court reform, for expansion or for mandatory retirements to change the constitution, to make this uh, a, a group of people who are not as old and also, for example, to take turns. So each president appoints two people as opposed to one president appointing four and then having a disproportionate effect on how we interpret rights that we did write out a long time ago, but maybe we still agree with the fundamental basis of them. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.